What is up, y'all? My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. And welcome to the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast. We're late, but we're back, and I got a true crime case this time, so it's, um, I'm gonna do my best. I'm not gonna lie, the information on Google, not always a thousand percent accurate, and that was definitely the case with this one. I read a lot, a lot of articles trying to get the clearest account of what happened, and it's like maybe 80%. 80 to yeah i'm not i don't want to say 90 i don't trust myself that much i'd say like 80 percent clear so i'm gonna do my best please don't come for me these resources be fucking crazy but today i'm going to be talking about a serial killer named joseph roy metheny 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 something like that uh major trigger warning here uh this is I don't want to give too much away, but it's, um... With serial killers, we can probably expect some of the worst. Yes. Violent crimes being committed, and I will give a trigger warning for the other content that pops up later. But just know, this is a rough case. Um, He victimizes a lot of sex workers who tend to be easy prey, and again, they're not, like... Like overseen and forgotten by law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually starting off with a little time hop. I'm not starting right at the beginning. Rather, I'm starting somewhat towards the end with the said to be sole survivor whose name is Rita Kemper. He told me I could scream as loud as I wanted to. I knew that he wasn't going to let me out of there alive. I wasn't letting this man take my life from me without a fight. These are the words that Rita Kemper would tearfully and shakingly say to the court as she was giving the testimony that would ultimately put Roy Metheny in jail. It was early on December 8th of 1996 that Rita would arrive to Joseph Metheny's house. She had met Joe, or Tiny, as the town had liked to call him, last fall, and they had developed a friendship over their mutual drug use. You know, you like to have friends that like to do the same thing. <laughs> By no means um, was Joe or Tiny a tiny man. Oh. He was, in fact, the exact opposite. He was 6'1 and 450 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, there is a photo of him. He says it wasn't all fat, but oh, it... Okay. <laughs> Let's see this. It very much... Sounds like a not tiny guy, for sure. Mm-hmm. And like, this is the one he's most known for in the articles. Oh my god, wait, is that hair on his... I, no, I think it's his, like, fat roll, just making a indent. He's also, like, holding it together, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Big guy, I he's mean... He's not tiny. No, and six <laughs> one. so, I mean, I would... It's scary. He was, he was known throughout the town for being somewhat aggressive, like, I, I definitely know that he had gotten into brawls here and there um, beforehand. Like, we get a little bit into his early life, but... He looks like he belongs to, like, a biker gang. Yeah, he's definitely... Or, like, he would be the big 
bouncer at the biker gang (laughs) bar. Like, it's just big fucking scary dude. Big scary energy. Yeah. And so probably, like, Rita picked up on that energy and she just, like... I don't know, choose who you want to choose to sleep with. And Rita's like, I don't want to sleep with you. And so it was very like friends only by no means did she want like sexual contact with him. So when Joe tries to like make sexual advances, Rita's like, ill, no, get off. Like, don't do that. And Joe decides that he's not going to take no for an answer and proceeds to beat Rita. I believe he strikes her twice over the head before she somehow manages to get out of the front door or I don't know exactly how far she makes it, but she makes it out out of the house as it's described before Joe, who is right behind her, reaches out and grabs her from the neck and then drags her back into the house. I read this part and I was like, how did she survive? If that, but I, he proceeds to take off her pants in an attempt to complete the rape that he was trying to make happen. And for some reason, he would say that he had to turn around. I don't know why. But Rita, seeing her chance, she would go and escape through a window. She would climb out of this window, fall onto the ground. It was thankfully only one story, I believe, because it's a trailer that he lives on at a job site that Mm. I'll, I'll talk more about later. So she falls onto the ground. This job site is surrounded by an eight foot chain link fence all around that you need a key to open the gate. So she's trapped in this this job site. She runs, by the grace of God, there are wooden pallets that just so happen to stack up to be about 10 feet tall. And they're stacked right against that chain-linked fence. Oh, my God. So Joe is watching her. He says she went like a spider monkey and ran up the pallets. And then from the pallets, she would jump the chain-link fence and then run to the main road. Like, they're... Thankfully, this is where Joe, being a 450-pound man, like, mm-hmm. doesn't work out. Because he's like, I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. There, there was no way. And so Joe kind of, like accepts what happens and like is gathers the clothes and waits and then as soon as rita makes it to the main road she manages to flag down this guy who's riding a truck who just so happens to be going down that road and then when she gets picked up they go to a gas station and then they call for help from there Mm. and then rita tells them what's going on tells them where joe lives the police go right over to joe's house they pull out the gun and they're like get on the ground and then from there joe's arrested and then they take him to be interrogated and now like i said joe had not been known he had been aggressive and he had gotten into fights but i don't think anyone had really anticipated like this kind of act from joe There were people that were at the bar that he liked to drink at and they would say like, oh, well, he always said thank you and yes, ma'am. And he just seemed so sweet. He would hold the door open and it's just, I never just imagined him being like that. But I don't know, depending on who you ask, many may have not been surprised by the monster that was Joe Roy Metheny. I don't know if I would be able to just climb out of a window on a, on a limb like you know at at night it's like such a bad habit of mine but I think all the time like what would I try to do if <laughs> <laughs> what's my escape plan it's always good to have one especially I'm reading um 
parable. I'm going to say it wrong. I'm sorry. Parable of the sower of the sower. I'm I can't talk. You know me. I don't know words. But um, in the book, it's at World's End. It's like Handmaid's Tale, but not. It's so good. Read it. But uh, the world is ending and she's trying to convince them to like go outside of the walls. And she's like, we need to survive. And they're like, you're all fucking crazy. And I'm like, no, you're not. (gasps) Survive. You need to know an escape plan. You need to know a way out. But Rita just, it worked out for her because it's. Yeah, that is strength. Yeah, there are some situations where, like, you fight and you end up dying for it. And she just fucking, he turned around. She just was like, it's either here or now. Because there were, Joe at one point had turned to her because she was screaming. And he was like, scream as loud as you want. I'm going to kill you and bury you with the others. Oh, fuck. With the others? Yes. And so we get into that. Oh, okay. Goosies. Um, Yeah, I guess also if you know you're going to die either way, you're going to fucking fight for yeah life so as soon as rita heard that she was like i'm i'm done there's the window i would rather die trying to get out of this window than be raped and attacked and killed by this man yeah. like i'm gonna go out fighting like most of the serial killers or people that we tend to talk about not a lot is known about the early life of joe roy Metheny. But what we do know is that he was born on March 2nd of 1955 in Essex near Baltimore, Maryland. So not in Europe. We are in the United States. Joe was said to have grown up with somewhat of an alcoholic father. And I do believe from accounts that it he was abusive towards the kids. I don't know if he was abusive towards the wife. And the mother, I guess, trying to support everyone was very overworked. And the pair did have six kids. Uh, so um, okay. there were, it was just a, a lot of people in the house, a lot of money needed to be spent to take care of those people, and a dad that needed alcohol to be bought for him. So just... Uh, mm. Mm. The father would actually end up dying in a car accident when Joe was in his younger years in like some articles I saw tens most I saw six so I want to say six but six to ten to be safe the children were said to become even more neglected after this by their mother and Joe would even make claims in interviews later on after he was arrested that um his mother was dead even though she was very much alive. And, like, when he, when they were kids, he would tell people, like, oh, my mom's dead. And then, like, probably go home to the mom. It was very weird. He would also say that, like, oh, she dropped us off at the grandparents or she would drop us off at relatives' house. Like, she was never home. We It was like a foster care system growing up. And we actually... Or not we, but, like, if you read the articles, there's actually an interview done with the mom before she died. I believe she died in 1999 at the age of, like, 81 or something like that. But before she died, they actually sat down and did an interview with her. And she would be like, none of this is true. She described him as somewhat of, like, a normal boy growing up. She would say he was smart and he had a good childhood. And if he was neglected, it was his own fault. It was a pretty good home. Wow. (laughs) I don't know what to make of that statement because I'm like, ouch, mom, harsh, my feelings are valid. But (laughs) at the same time, like, we don't know. We truly don't know. So just. And I mean, like, from a kid's perspective, things seem 
bigger than they they are. Yeah. So if she was working all the time and he spent time with grandparents or family members a lot, he probably just felt like abandoned and neglected. Yeah. And when in reality, it's just like she them doesn't want them her while she worked. Yeah. Or like she is trying to take care of her kids and she doesn't want them to be at the home alone. So she gets people to watch them. Yeah. Like I don't know. Who knows? Or maybe the alcoholic father really did abuse him and it was so much traumatic. Like it could go either or. I don't want to make claims that I don't 100% know about, but come to the conclusions that you want to come to. Either way, when he became an adult around the age of 18 or 19 in the year 1973, he would be described as, again, somewhat of an intelligent young man and was very well-spoken. He would even go on to join the army as soon as he graduated and would go on to take physics courses there. But again, the lies that he likes to spill, spill out. He would tell people that he would be sent to Vietnam, even though his mom would be like, no, I think he was sent to Germany. And he went in 1973. So I don't know history, but the article said that Vietnam in America, that was like no longer. That was way in the past. So that was like in the 60s. Yeah. Sarah found an interesting fun fact while we took a small break to fact check so we didn't sound too dumb. History.com tells us that on January 27th, 1973, President Nixon signed the Paris Peace Accords, ending direct U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. Yeah, so even though the war ended in 1975, as we first saw, our U.S. involvement ended very tip in 1973. So. We withdrew. We withdrew. And there was no way that Joe could be in this Drew if we withdrew. So <laughs> he was not in Vietnam. It was like the records were saying, no, he wasn't in Vietnam. His mom was saying like, no, I'm pretty sure he was somewhere in Germany. Um, so yeah, I we don't know why he says this. And then he would make it even worse and say that he became addicted to heroin at an art artillery unit there so this is where drugs start i don't know if he was taking drugs before the army probably not because i would assume that they probably drug tested even then who knows but he gets heavily involved with drugs here in his life and you would start to see that he slowly withdraws from the family the mom begins to have little to no contact with him and i don't believe that any of the six siblings continue contact with him either i think they just Everyone never hears from him again, really, and he just kind of dips out. Once Joe found himself out of the army, he would find work as a truck driver. I found he found work like maybe chopping wood. He found kind of random jobs here and there. But the main job that he found was as a forklift operator. And this was at the 3200th block of St. James at the Joe Stein and Soane's shop. And this is where, like I had described before, that was that big piece of um land that he attacked rita on that had the chain length fence around yeah Yeah. this is that work site and it was said that it was at the pretty much a very isolated dead end road so this was very perfect for joe to commit his crimes he would even yeah he would even tell rita like because she would start screaming when joe first attacked her and he'd be like scream as loud as you want because no one's gonna hear you (gasps) oh i just (laughs) I don't know how I said that so calmly because I just immediately got chills. Like, what the fuck? 
So it was at this site where he found work as a forklift operator. And it was also at this site where Joe would find the trailer that he would eventually live on. I don't know at what point that he lived at this trailer though, because it's described in his earlier life, I guess when he first gets out of the army, any and all of the money that Joe would spend would be spent solely on drugs or alcohol. Because of Joe's need to spend all of his work money on drugs and alcohol, um, he, I don't, again, I don't know when he lived at the trailer because it was said for some time that he would live around the homeless camps, otherwise known as Tent City, that reside within Baltimore. But at some point, he does move to a home because he does get a girlfriend and they do have a son together. And it's said that they got a home. And I yeah, hope that they're not living in a tent. Who knows? You never know someone's situation, but it does seem that they have a home at this point. Okay. So the girlfriend and the son are six years old and we're now to the year 1990. No, sorry. <laughs> the son is six years old. I don't know how old the girlfriend is. Sorry. <laughs> and the year is 1994. Joe would return home from a truck driving shift where he would spend long times away and noticed when he got home that the son and girlfriend were gone. There was, they were nowhere to be found. Unfortunately, this may have not been that surprising. Um, Joe, being a drug addict, you know, probably found someone, did find someone who was also a drug addict. And she was said to have left with another man to go out onto the streets in order to like maybe do drugs with him. I'm not really sure. Uh, Joe does find out six months after the girlfriend leaves with the son that she did in fact go to leave to be with this guy. And she ended up doing sex work to make money for them and ended up getting caught. I believe her and the man both were arrested for whatever they were doing. And then the son would be taken in by child protective services, as it said in the area, their version of CPS or whatever. And, um, he would just be put into the system. And as we get into it later with Joe's record that he had, there was no way that Joe was going to be able to be like, hey, let me go in and get my son. Because they would be like, "Uh, no, you're not. You're you're not going to take him. So either way, when Joe first saw the empty house and just had no idea where his girlfriend or son were, it put him into a blinding rage. He, at that point began checking under the bridges within the area or halfway houses that the girlfriend had known to go and reside or maybe do drugs at during the time that they had known each other. He would spend days trying to look for them before ultimately taking his frustrations out on two homeless men that Joe had seen. And I like, again, this is where the articles tend to vary. It was said maybe that they were rivals of like homeless homeless rivals in the area because i guess they fight for territories and whatnot um he they could have also been two homeless guys that joe may have seen in the past doing drugs with the wife um i don't know if it was if they were awake it would be said in joe's confession that he gave later on that they were passed out on some old stinking mattress and that's where they were when i left them except they were dead from being chopped up. This is because Joe would grab a woodcutter's axe that was underneath a rotting sofa and believed to then just go and attack the men as they 
potentially slept. I Again, I'm not 100% sure if they were awake or not. Okay. Joe's not done. Oh, God. That very same night, Joe would continue walking under the bridges, I guess, like, high off of the two murders that he just committed. He would lure a sex worker underneath one of the bridges and get her high. He would begin asking her questions about like potentially if he knew she knew where the girlfriend was. She didn't know anything and was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I just came here for a good time. Joe, being frustrated, would then assault and rape this woman before strangling and killing her. Uh. He would then drag her body underneath a into some bushes that were under the bridge before going back up onto the streets, grabbing another woman and doing the exact same thing. What's crazier is that I'm not even done because as soon as Joe is going to drag the second body into the area, I guess where he hid in the first Joe looks up and he sees a fisherman over in the river doing his own thing, except he is staring straight at Joe. Joe already, he's like, I don't care. I've already committed four murders at this point. Looks down and around him, finds a steel pipe that is laying on the ground, picks it up, and then hits the guy twice over the head and ultimately kills the fisherman. That's a spree, all right. And we don't know the hour span that this happened in, but... To one night, that is enough. That's, like not even twelve hours. That's, that's a lot. Uh, he would ultimately take the three bodies of the two women and the fishermen over to a nearby river, weigh them down with rocks before ultimately throwing their body into the river. I think one of the craziest parts of this case is that police would actually arrest Joe for the murders of two homeless men. And their names happen to be Randall Brewer and Randy Piker. So Randall and Randy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get how old they were. I'm sorry. There wasn't a lot of information out about them. But police would arrest Joe under suspicion that Joe had committed those murders. Joe would be sent to Baltimore City Jail, where he would wait for about a year and a half in jail for the trial of the murders of Randall and Randy to come up and go on the docket. The trial would finally arrive and would last one week before, wait for it, it was thrown out (gasps) due to lack of evidence. Apparently what had happened was that what is believed to have happened was that Joe, potentially using the axe, dismembered Randall and Randy and then threw them I don't know if it's the same river. Like, it, from what it seems like, Rain, or Joe may have gone to multiple bridges that night. Either way, Joe chops up the pieces, throws Randall and Randy into the river, and so the bodies of Randall and Randy are never found. It is also said that Joe had left the weapon, the axe, in the area where Randall and Randy were killed when he was done, and then went off and killed the two sex workers with his hands and then that's why he was looking for the steel pipe because he didn't have the axe on him. Okay. So another homeless man named Larry Al- Larry Amos would go to the area where Randall and Randy were killed and would happen to see the woodcutter axe. Larry would then pick up this woodcutter axe and then commit a murder with it. Oh. 
So when Larry gets picked up for this murder, he has the murder weapon. A lot of people think, okay, put two and two together. That means that Larry killed these two other guys because his DNA is at this point all over the freaking murder weapon. Did you you read why the police suspected Joe for that? Joe would confess multiple times that he committed the crime. But like... So I don't know if he was telling people within the area, like, oh, I committed this crime. He would say afterwards, after everything was said and done, like, yeah, I a thousand percent committed the crimes and I even stole $300 from one of the men that night. So it's hard because Joe is never arrested or tried for the murder of these two other sex workers and the fishermen, partly because their bodies are, again, never found because they were thrown into the river. We also don't know if Joe is just fucking crazy and killed Randall and Randy, was done with his night, and just proceeded to make up the stories of killing these two sex workers and the fishermen. We'll see a lot of times, like, we don't have a body, so we're going off of Joe's own account. Um, The only bodies that we do get later on are just, like, we'll get into it, and those are the ones that we can for sure tie him to. The other ones were more so going based off of his confession. Got you. Okay. But either way, it doesn't really fucking matter because Joe's free from jail. He's out of county and he goes back to his old job where he worked at the pallet at the pallet company as a forklift driver and would beg his job, his boss for his old job back. And the boss would be like, yeah, cool. No worries. Like, no problem. Uh, The boss seems kind of weird. We'll get into that later. Mm. And yeah, Joe would continue to do his thing. That's probably when he moved into the trailer then. When he got out of jail, got the job. I would say yes until Rita comes along. So, like, Joe had laid really low and no one really suspected anything until the attack on Rita. Because, like, nothing had happened really that we had known of up until this point. So, when he gets attacked, when Rita gets attacked and Joe gets arrested... Joe makes a confession that changes everything. And this confession is the reason why I think Joe had lived in this trailer prior. Because his first known victim was in 1994, before the murders of Randall and Randy. Or possibly within that same year, but this was the first murder. And this was a body that was found within Joe's yard. Okay. All right. It's coming together. I'm doing a lot of time hopping here. I'm sorry, but I kind of wanted it to flow a certain way. And yeah, so when Joe goes to interview, he like makes a comment to the cop of like, oh, if you want to find a body, like just go to my yard to find it. And so he will go and lead police to seven holes that are dug around the trailer, around this pallet company that have the bones of not one, but two women. And those are the women that I'm going to get into now. So the first one that we find is believed to be the first victim of Joe Metheny, though I do get into it later. I'll just get into it now. (laughs) Though there is some rumors that Joe's 17-year-old brother, John Michael Metheny, had died in 1976, I believe in a car accident. Honestly, I'm not sure. I don't think I could find a way on how he died. But either way, that same year, Joe would get into a bar fight and end up killing a dude. So 
that happened. And then it was also, again, said by Joe that in 1988 and 1989, he killed two sex workers. So there are some rumors. There's some stuff. I believe the bar fight might have been validated, but there's some evidence to show that 1994 with his first victim, Catherine and Magazine may have not been his true first victim. But this is what a lot of articles tend to say, like this is his first actual murder that he kind of committed or that he did commit. So in 1994, Catherine and Magazine was around her late 30s, early 40s. One said 39, one said 45. I believe she was early 40s at least. And she had been living on the streets of South Baltimore. Now, she had been previously convicted multiple times prior to this of prostitution, but she did not let that stop her from continuing her work, from getting her bag. You know, she had to eat. She had to fucking live life. Gotta do your thing. So she goes back on the streets It was said that under the guise of money and drugs that Catherine or Kathy would be picked up by Joseph Matheny and then be brought back to the trailer. It was once inside the trailer that Joe would attack Catherine. He raped her before stabbing her to death. It was after he killed Catherine that he proceeded to bury her body in a shallow grave where she would stay for some time. But then for whatever reason, I don't really know, Joe would tell investigators that six months after burying Catherine in this grave, he would dig up her body, remove the skull, clean it off because it's said to have maggots. This is very much a trigger warning if you don't like necrophilia. Oh, God. Because he would then proceed to, in his words, make love to the skull. Sexually assault and rape a dead woman's skull. I'm not on board. More what he did, yeah. I he would then put the skull in the box and throw it away, which is I'm I like I don't I wouldn't have felt comfortable if he would have kept it, but it's like the callousness of throwing it away after you just did something like that. It complete disrespect. It, It. uh, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable with it. Like, I, I don't know what would have been better, honestly, for you to have never have done anything like this. But it's that particular act that really just threw me off. I don't know. I know, like, a lot of people get rid of the skulls and heads sometimes in a murder because um, it makes identifying the body harder. Yeah. But we don't know if that's why he did it. He's probably just... The second body that they had found belonged to that of Kimberly Spicer. Kimberly, or Kim as her family had called her, was born into a lower middle class family in South Baltimore. She was described as a very pretty auburn haired woman who had just happened to be down on her luck during the time. She was in her mid-20s. Again, the ages varied, I believe like 24 to 26 years old. But she was currently, at the time, unemployed and struggling with a crack cocaine addiction. It was on November 11th of 1996 that Kimberly would get into an argument with her mother, Kathy Price. Kathy's brother or sister, I saw both in either articles. I'm so sorry. The facts were really, like, crazy in this one. But either way... The sibling had died on November 2nd of that year of a heroin overdose. So when this happened, it not only left Kimberly rightfully upset because 
being an addict and seeing someone die from addiction, that is a hard pill to swallow. It was also hard on the mother, Kathy, because her sibling had just died and her daughter, who is struggling with addiction, is potentially going to die of the same thing. And so there was a lot of tension and an argument broke out over Kathy really wanting Kimberly to get a control on her substance abuse problem. So when an argument undoubtedly broke out between the two, Kimberly would leave. But unlike other times where Kimberly would come back after having cooled off, this time Kimberly would never return home. It's said that Kimberly would somehow run into Joe Matheny out on Washington Street, and from here, they would end up back at Joe's trailer. It was here at the trailer that Joe would attack Kimberly Spicer, where he would, I believe, rape and then stab her to death. Um, He was very adamant on sexually assaulting a lot of these women beforehand, so even though the articles don't necessarily mention it, I do think that he did. This is a fact that I get a little confused on because I don't know what the fuck the friend was thinking. So I'm not sure when. I hope it was December 15th. But on December 15th, a friend would show up to police. Mind you, Rita was attacked on December 8th of 1996. December 15th, 1996, the police show up or a friend of Joe's shows up to police and says that Joe had come to him and asked him for the help in burying Kimberly Spicer's body. I don't know if, like, and this is, again, where I get confused, because they say that they arrest Joe at a Christmas party for the death of Kimberly in one article, though if he had already attacked Rita and made this crazy confession, there's no way that I could see them putting him out on bail. Though I know the boss, and here's where that, boss comes back the boss that let joe have the job back was then later be arrested for assisting after the fact and getting rid of some evidence that potentially had to do with the murders that happened on the property oh my god so i don't know if maybe it was just the boss that had gotten arrested and they just arrested joe while he was already in jail I also don't know why the friend would wait until December 15th if Rita was attacked on the 8th. And like, did Joe, when, when did Joe ask you this? Why are you just waiting until now? I don't know. I got a little sketched out about that. Some articles tried to be like, it was the friend that went to the police and got Joe arrested. But I'm like, no, it was from him attacking Rita. So like, why are people trying to say that it was the friend that got Joe arrested? Like, I don't know. I got really confused, also irritated by that, but... Yeah, I don't know. For me, I feel like he he found out what Joe did to Kim and knew that he was probably, like, arrested or whatever and was afraid of Joe throwing him under the bus for helping or being asked to help. And he wanted to, like, cover his own ass by... Yeah, he didn't want to be fucking arrested for aiding and abetting or whatever the fuck. It was just all so weird. I I really don't know. Either way, Joe would be charged with Kimberly's death on December 15th. And the boss, like I had said, would be arrested for accessory after the fact for potentially hiding evidence for the murders. The majority of Kim's skull, when it was found, had been gone, and they would need to use dental records in order to identify Kim's body. 
There was a third victim that I potentially found, and that was of Tony Lennon Gracia. She was 28 and was, again, said to be a sex worker at the time who was strangled and dumped along Interstate 95 on the ramp uh, located in South Baltimore. It Joe would be indicted for Tony's murder, but ultimately the charges would be dropped because, again, it would say that uh, there would be like a lack of evidence Joe, I don't think, is the only serial killer probably going around the streets of Baltimore at this time. It's a little hard to say, um, but I, and I don't know if it's something that he later confesses to. Joe confesses to a lot of murders, some of which the police aren't able to tie him to. I believe he says 13 in total that he's confessed to, but I think they can only link him to maybe 10. Um, and I don't believe that I go through all 10, or if I do, there's some where they're like questionable so what is also questionable though is a it's this is the rumor that i think everyone hopes is just a fucking rumor and not true because joe for whatever reason would turn to the cops and say not only that he killed three other additional sex workers that they will probably never find along washington boulevard but that the meat from Catherine and Kimberly's bodies. And this is a trigger warning for cannibalism. <laughs> would mix <laughs> would mix them. I'm not trying to laugh. This is I just I'm I can't actually believe I'm about to say this. Joe would take the bodies, the meatiest parts, he would say to investigators. And put them into Tupperware containers and fill them up to the brim and put as much as he could fit into the freezer. Once the freezer was full, he would have taken the remnants of the bodies and buried them into those seven holes that we found, or the investigators found laying along the property. It was from here that he would grind the human flesh along with pork and beef and use his special meat to cook burgers, which he would then sell at his newly opened roadside barbecue pit. It said that during this time, countless unknowing customers would order and potentially, though it's not known, consume bits of Joe's victims. Oh my god. It was also said that none of the customers complained about the food during this time. (laughs) Joe would say apparently the body, the human body, tastes very similar to pork. And if you mix it in with the real thing, uh, you can't tell the difference. It was only after he ran out of his special meat that Joe would have to go back in and grab more. And that's when he would ultimately pick up Rita Kemper, which led to his demise and to him being caught when she ran away. He would be tried and found guilty in 1997 of the kidnapping and attempted sexual assault of Rita Kemper. And would be sentenced and would be sentenced to 50 years. The murder, the attempted murder charges for her would be dropped. For the murder of Kimberly Spicer, Joe Matheny would be sentenced to death in 1998. Oh, okay. It was said that during his sentence hearing, he could be overheard stating that he committed the murder simply because he enjoyed it. He got a rush out of it, got a high from it, and had no real excuse why other than I like to do it. 
And you'll see, I don't know if his defense attorney used this, but it was very much a thing throughout the articles that they stated that Joe committed these crimes because he was really bummed out about his girlfriend and his son leaving him. Even though you find out that, okay, Catherine was killed in 94 before your girlfriend left you, supposedly. So it's just, it's all very, I, I, I don't know, odd. Like, not it. Mm. He he was just a mom. He killed, he found out that he liked it, and he just continued to do it, basically. And he just used his girlfriend as a sad, pathetic excuse. That same year in August, Joe would plead guilty to the murder and robbing of uh, Catherine Magaziner. Magazine? Magaziner. Sometimes there's an R at the end of the name, sometimes there's not. So mm. I really do apologize. I will try to find the proper one and have it linked down in the YouTube and in our photos and stuff. Prosecutors would also sought out the death penalty in this case, but they wouldn't end up getting it. And unfortunately, or not unfortunately, depending on how you look on the death sentence, the death sentence for Kimberly Kimberly Spicer would be overturned in the year 2000 and would instead be reduced to life without parole. So he's not getting out, but the death penalty is just no longer a thing. Uh, The rationale behind the death penalty, uh, from what I read, I will try to explain it as best as I can. When he, when they were trying him for the murder of Kimberly, they tried to say that it was a robbery that led to murder, and that's how it was able to be put as a death sentence into the state of Maryland where they lived. But the evidence, like, didn't seem to be of that. Uh, I think they tried to say because, like, he took her clothes. That was, like, robbery, oh. which I'm like, that's not robbery, that's rape. But yeah, I, like... I don't know. So they just overturned it. They were like, this wasn't what you were trying to say it was. So no death sentence, but he did end up spending his life in jail. During trial, Joe would state the words, I'm sorry, will never come out for they would be a lie. I am more than willing to give up my life for what I have done to have God judge me and send me to hell for eternity. I just enjoyed it. The only thing I feel bad about in any of this is that I didn't get to murder the two motherfuckers I was really after, and that's my ex-old lady and the bastard she got hooked up with. (gasps) On August 5th of 2017, guards would find Joe unresponsive in his cell at the Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland around 3 p.m. He would be pronounced dead at the age of 62. Uh, I don't believe that the autopsy was ever revealed, so we don't know why he died, but rest not in peace, Joe Roy Matheny. One of the last things he was known to state in an interview was, well, that's my story. Horrible, but true. So the next time you're riding down the road and you happen to see an open pit beef stand that you've never seen before, make sure you think about this story before you take a bite of that sandwich. Sometimes you never know who you may be eating. Ha ha. Just to end a little bit on his victims, um, though we don't know the total number of his victims, they do range potentially from 10 to 13. We do know that Joe liked to victimize the homeless and the sex workers within the community, people who were very vulnerable during this time. Kathy Price, who was 44 during the time of the interview, had stated about her daughter, Kim had her problems, but she was always a battler, always struggling with problems and hoping to turn the corner. I guess that's the kind of person he preyed on. Mm. 
Joan Ingracia, the father of Tony Lynn Ingracia, would state that Tony Lynn was a good girl, someone who had problems with drugs but was just trying to get help. And again, that is a lot of the victims that he tended to prey on, just women who were vulnerable in need of help and in a desperate situation. But that is our case on Joe Joseph Roy Metheny, otherwise known as Tiny, not so tiny, and it's a fucking psychotic serial killer ways. I really hope that that last bit was a rumor because that's just another level of fucked up when you bring innocent people into your games. But he did have a burger stand for sure. He did. Okay, that's sketchy. People did eat there. Oh my god. Um... But thankfully, Rita Kemper was able to put a stop to it. Oh, so Yeah, so thank you, Rita, for being a strong, amazing survivor. Um, it's incredible. And um, I'm just so sorry the other victims went through what they went through. Yeah. And um, I had never heard of Joe. I had never heard of this one either. But honestly, with the freaking way these articles were written, I'm... There are there are so, other there they seem like so contrasting that's so hard. Yeah, there are definitely other podcasts that have done an episode on this. I'm really sorry I haven't listened to any of them mm-hmm. just cuz like sometimes it messes with my how I want to say the story. I don't know. I, I don't want to copy. Right. But there are definitely some out there but I see why there aren't more because it was hard to try and get the information together in a nice understanding package that somewhat hopefully made sense and was somewhat hopefully as accurate as possible right. though probably not that most well, it made uh, sense I, well i tried my best with the google engine search engine that i had so yes queen mm-hmm. it, well thank you yeah. <laughs> thank you for that that yes. was um interesting yeah. to say the least <laughs> yes very much Ooh, very much so Now the puppies are awake and it's time to take them out. So I think we're going to wrap it up. If you like what you are hearing or seeing, (laughs) sorry, we didn't put makeup on. It's really early in the morning. We are re-recording this. (laughs) It's one. (laughs) (laughs) That's early for us. Okay. Uh, Give us a like. Give us a comment. We see all the likes on Apple. The two of y'all that did it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shout out. The two of you for rating us. Yes. Shout out. We see and appreciate each and every one of y'all. It always helps our little show out. Yeah. If anyone else wants to do that, it's R-A-R-W podcast. Or tag at White Claw in all of our stuff so we can get a sponsorship by them. What would that be? We need free alcohol. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or send us an email if you want to hear a certain subject or if you just want to say hi. Red rum and red wine podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, guys, see something, say something. Not like fucking that asshole of a friend that waited till December 15th. Sorry if you found out that day, but it doesn't really seem like it. Um... Stay hydrated with water, hopefully. Not White Claw, even though we do want you to sponsor us, you know. Drink responsibly. Fuck Greg Abbott. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bye.